You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Biden prepares an executive order on foreign access to data. Britain's NCSC warns of a significant ransomware increase, while Cisco Talos confirms a ransomware surge. Buygoods.com leaks PII and KYC data. Portra faces scrutiny over slow disclosure. AI fights financial fraud. Intel 471 highlights bulletproof hosting. NSO Group lobbies to revamp their image. Tussling in Missouri over election security. Integrating cyber education. Our guests are N2K President Simone Petrella and WESIS Executive Director Lynn Dome, talking about a new partnership for a comprehensive cyber talent study. And the moral panic of Furbies. It's Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Thank you for joining us here today. It is great to have you here. We begin today with news from Bloomberg that the Biden administration is preparing an executive order to limit foreign access to sensitive U.S. data. This move, directed by the president, will involve the U.S. Attorney General and the Department of Homeland Security formulating new restrictions. The focus is on preventing foreign adversaries from acquiring Americans' personal data including genetic and location information. This data is often accessed legally through intermediaries like data brokers, third-party vendors, and through various agreements. The draft order highlights concerns about the legal avenues foreign entities use to obtain sensitive data. Observers note the Biden administration has not taken a strong stance against the data broker industry, which trades in such data, and that the administration's primary concern seems to be the potential misuse of this data by political adversaries, not necessarily the privacy implications for American citizens. Some suggest that the pending measures may not be sufficient, since data brokers often cannot guarantee that their data is restricted to U.S. citizens. The proposed restrictions might not effectively prevent the flow of sensitive data, Perhaps a more effective approach would be to limit the collection of data at the source, thereby reducing the amount of data available for trade. 
The National Cybersecurity Center of Britain has issued a high-confidence warning that ransomware attacks will significantly increase in both frequency and impact over the next two years, driven by advancements in artificial intelligence. This assessment, combining classified intelligence, industry insights, and academic research, highlights how AI technologies are enhancing cyber threats. Currently, AI is being used for more effective reconnaissance and social engineering, with future potential in malware development and vulnerability research. However, these sophisticated AI applications in cybercrime are expected to be accessible mainly to well-resourced threat actors, with full realization unlikely before 2025. The effectiveness of AI in cyber operations heavily depends on access to high-quality exploit data for training models. Presently, this advanced capability is considered within reach primarily for highly capable states with extensive malware repositories. The report also indicates a positive feedback loop in cyber threats. As successful data exfiltrations occur, the quality of data available for AI training improves, leading to more efficient and precise cyber operations. In 2023, the UK experienced a notable surge in ransomware attacks, with 874 incidents in the first three quarters, surpassing the total for the entire previous year. Speaking of ransomware, in their most recent quarterly incident response report, Cisco Talos says ransomware emerged as the primary threat in cybersecurity, representing 28% of incidents handled by Cisco Talos incident response. This marks a significant 17% increase from the previous quarter. Talos incident response report highlights the first-time observation of specific ransomware variants like Play, Cactus, Black Suit, and No Escape. Other prevalent threats include insider attacks and sophisticated phishing campaigns, one involving malicious QR codes. Notably, the education and manufacturing sectors were the most targeted, each comprising nearly half of all incident responses. Educational institutions are particularly vulnerable due to limited cybersecurity resources, making them targets for ransomware and data theft, including sensitive personal information. Cybersecurity researcher Jeremiah Fowler discovered a misconfigured cloud database belonging to buygoods.com, a global e-commerce platform based in Wilmington, Delaware, which inadvertently exposed a wealth of sensitive customer data. The database, around 198 gigabytes in size, was publicly accessible without security authentication. It contained over 260,000 records, including details about affiliate payouts, refund transactions, invoices, and accounting records. More alarmingly, the database exposed highly sensitive, personally identifiable information and know-your-customer data of customers and affiliates. This included personal identification documents like licenses, passports, and unredacted credit card details. Fowler reported this security lapse to buygoods.com, and while the company acknowledged and claimed to have secured the data, Fowler found that the server remained accessible for days following his report. Fortra is facing scrutiny over the delay in publicly disclosing a critical vulnerability in its Go Anywhere MFT software. The flaw, scoring 9.8 on the CVSS scale, allows remote creation of a new admin user. 
This vulnerability became known 12 months after the Klopp ransomware gang exploited a zero-day in Go Anywhere MFT, impacting over 130 organizations. Although Fortra informed its customers privately last month and released a patch on December 7th of 2023, it did not issue a public advisory until January 22nd, over six weeks later. Researchers at Horizon3.ai have closely monitored this vulnerability, even releasing a technical analysis and a proof of concept. Fortra recommends that customers urgently update to the fixed version and take measures to secure their administrative portals. Generative AI is revolutionizing fraud detection and banking, as highlighted by a report from the McKinsey Global Institute. The technology's advanced analytics capabilities are key to identifying and mitigating fraudulent activities, a critical concern in the financial sector. Banks are increasingly leveraging AI to analyze patterns and predict potential fraud risks, thereby enhancing the security and reliability of financial transactions. This adoption is part of a broader trend in the banking industry, where AI is expected to significantly impact operational efficiency and customer service. The technology's ability to process vast amounts of data quickly and accurately is proving invaluable in safeguarding against financial crimes, marking a pivotal shift in how banks manage risk and protect customer assets. The rise of ransomware-as-a-service and bulletproof hosting, BPH, has significantly lowered the barrier to entry into cybercrime. BPH is a hosting service, often based in lenient jurisdictions, that facilitates various illegal online activities, including malware distribution and phishing attacks. Cyber threat intelligence firm Intel 471 notes that bulletproof hosting providers use complex techniques to evade law enforcement, such as fast-flux hosting and routing malicious traffic through shifting servers. Three notable BPH suppliers identified by Intel 471 are Yali Shanda, PQ Host, and CC Web. These providers support a range of cybercriminal activities, from ransomware attacks to data extortion. For example, Yalishanda is linked to several high-profile cyber attacks and malware distributions, while PQ Host has hosted ransomware that impacted major companies like Colonial Pipeline. An article in Wired explains notorious spyware vendor NSO Group's efforts to revamp its image and address U.S. regulations harming its business. NSO Group released a transparency report claiming they investigated 19 potential product misuses, leading to six customer account suspensions or terminations. It includes a section on journalists acknowledging they are among the many targeted by NSO's Pegasus spyware. NSO Group's image rehabilitation includes a multi-million dollar lobbying campaign in Washington aiming to position its spyware as vital for global security. However, experts remain skeptical of the company's commitment to human rights and ethical standards. As Wired notes, the report repackages NSO Group's defenses rather than providing new transparency. Following significant challenges, including U.S. sanctions and financial struggles, NSO Group has been actively lobbying to reverse the ban on its products. Despite these efforts, changes in U.S. policy toward NSO Group remain unlikely, the global spyware market, estimated at $12 billion, continues to thrive, 
with firms like NSO Group seeking to maintain their market presence despite increasing regulatory pressures. A recent audit report from Missouri Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick accuses Missouri's Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, of violating state law by refusing to share cybersecurity reviews of local election authorities. State law mandates biennial cybersecurity reviews for local election authorities with reports submitted to the state auditor's office. Ashcroft's office contested the audit's findings, arguing that sharing the reviews could compromise confidential information. Additionally, the audit criticized Ashcroft's decision to withdraw Missouri from the Electronic Information Registration Information Center, ERIC, without proper planning for an alternative, potentially affecting the maintenance of accurate voter records. Despite Ashcroft's office viewing the audit as opinion-based and asserting no legal violation, the audit rated the secretary's office as fair, raising concerns amidst Ashcroft's 2024 gubernatorial campaign. No legal action is currently sought against Ashcroft or his office. In an age where 90% of children over age 8 are online, the stark reality is that 72% regularly face cyber threats, yet only 40% of their parents are aware. This is according to Global Cybersecurity Forum's report, Why Children Are Unsafe in Cyberspace, which highlights this gap and underscores the urgency of integrating cybersecurity education into children's daily lives. The report envisions children learning cybersecurity through interactive play, where games become a gateway to understanding digital safety. Ethical education accompanies this learning, nurturing responsible tech-savvy citizens. It's essential for children to recognize the complexity of the cyber world, including the dual nature of hackers, from the malicious to the ethical white hats. Schools are crucial in this narrative, where cybersecurity education becomes as fundamental as any traditional subject. This knowledge extends to parents, ensuring a unified approach to digital safety at home. Teaching children about secure networks, the dangers of phishing, and the importance of strong passwords becomes a cornerstone of their digital interactions. This isn't just about safeguarding children, it's about empowering them to navigate and thrive in a digital world responsibly. Coming up after the break, Simone Petrella speaks with WeSee's Executive Director Lynn Dome about a new partnership for a comprehensive cyber talent study. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps. 
keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show our own president, Simone Petrella, uh, also joined by the executive director of WESIS, Lynn Dome. Uh, ladies, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time for us today. Thank you, Dave. So we have an exciting announcement here, and uh, I'm going to let the, the two of you kind of duke it out to see who wants to take the lead here in, uh, in breaking the news, but uh, some interesting goings-on behind the scenes here between the two organizations. Yeah, so Simone, would you like to share the partnership news with everyone? Sure. Um, look at this. We're already so cordial in our partnership. No, so it's very exciting. N2K uh, will be working with WESIS to conduct a skills study of the WESIS professional membership in the organization. And the goal of that study is to actually look at the quantifiable skills across the WESA's professional membership and use that data along with anything we know about their job roles, demographics, contextual information to really provide insight into the state of cybersecurity talent within the WESA's population, which is obviously an area that we have a immense impetus to focus on creating more opportunities for diversity and women in particular in the field. Lynn, is there anything I missed? No, we're just really excited about this partnership because it gives our WESIS members this opportunity to deepen their understanding of their capabilities within the cybersecurity workforce in the roles that they currently have, identify any gaps, strengths, or weaknesses, and then also how we could move them forward and build out programming efforts. So as a nonprofit, we're looking at this as the member benefit, which is the significant impact. And for us to have this assessment, but also as a nonprofit, what is our next step? Like, what are the gaps here and what could we do as a programming effort to move it forward to um, build up the skills in a higher capacity for our members that we serve? You know, Lynn, I've had the pleasure of attending several of uh, your events, uh, your conferences over the years. Uh, but for folks who aren't familiar with the organization, can you give us a little bit of rundown of uh, what is the mission and what sort of things do you provide for, to your members? 
Yeah, thanks, Dave. I'm so glad that you're able to attend some of the WISIS events. So we're Women in Cybersecurity. We often go by our acronym WICYS, and we pronounce that WISIS, like we sisters, because we're a global cyber sisterhood. So our mission is to recruit, retain, and advance women in cybersecurity. We started many, many years ago in 2014 as a conference only, because at that time, there was a little known little data point that came out that women represented 11% of the cybersecurity workforce. Well, our founder, Dr. Amberine Suraj, who was at Tennessee Tech University at the time, she wasn't seeing even that 11% in any of her circles of industry, academia, or government. And so her idea was, well, if women in cybersecurity exist, let's bring them together to a technical conference where we could learn and grow together. And so that was our very, very beginning 10 years ago. And each and every year, that conference continued to grow. But in 2018, when the data didn't change, we were still 11% of the workforce we realized that there was so much more work that needed to be done. And that's when we formed into a nonprofit organization. And now we offer so many different program offerings and opportunities. But essentially, our mission is to recruit, retain, and advance women in cybersecurity. And we create opportunities and provide accessibility to cybersecurity, um, many different career pathways, and many different offerings within the organization. And so we have folks that are just ever so slightly interested. Is cyber for them? We're saying, yes, it is. And we're creating pathways and accessibility for them to get in and advance through it. Um, and then all the way to CISOs and, and senior leaders within the profession as they're paying it forward and bringing forward their knowledge and skill set for so many. So it's really incredible. We have over 9,500 members. We have representation in 95 countries. We have 67 professional affiliates, which are extensions of the WESIS global organization. And we have over 250 student chapters. So that's just our community alone. We have lots going on and it's, it's, it's been a great, great journey. Simone, can you give us some details here on, on the cyber talent study itself? I mean, can, can we start with a little bit of background? How does this fit into the types of offerings that N2K provides? Yeah, well, like Lynn said, you know, even when you look at the data that kind of drove this identification back in 2014 of 11%, I think it kind of carries over in the theme that we want to use data to help inform you know, not only for individuals, or in this case, WESIS members, how can they actually look at their own skills and collect data through their own assessment of their skills as it pertains to the critical competencies that are required in cybersecurity job roles? But then how can WESIS as an organization, as a nonprofit, look at that same data at an aggregate level and make some strategic decisions around what type of offerings that they can provide to members moving forward in a more, you know, elevated and scaled and sustainable way. And so it really, the study itself is a opportunity for anyone who is a WESIS member to log in and take a diagnostic assessment on the technical skills of cybersecurity. And that covers everything that's in the NICE cybersecurity workforce framework, all the specialty areas there. And we're using that information compared to the job roles that those individuals are reporting that they're in and do a gap analysis on where are they in their roles and the level of the roles they're at, and then where are they in their actual performance based on that assessment. And that is meant to provide that overarching barometer to give people the guidance into inform what kind of training they want to pursue if they're looking to level up in the field, 
what other areas in cybersecurity are potentially of interest, even if it's not an area that they're necessarily working in today, it could be something they want to explore. They want to move laterally. Um, so that's where we're going to use the data to kind of inform the individual. And like I said, that same information, when you look at it in totem, is really critical for any organization and we as a nonprofit to say, well, where do we see sort of systematic or commonalities with some of those gaps? Should we actually invest in things that are for entry-level talent or do we need to have more offerings or more services for people who are, you know, career switching later on in their careers or people who are coming back into the workforce? Because if I remember, Lynn, I know one big focus is a lot of people who are coming back into the workforce after maybe being out of it for some time. So the really the applications are kind of twofold. And, you know, what we're doing is using one bit of data along with the self-reported identification of where people are starting to, to kind of collect that. Lynn, what are you looking forward to in terms of the data that's going to be collected and how it's going to help the organization craft those things that you offer? I'm looking forward to all of that and everything above uh, that comes from it. I'm really looking forward to creating this opportunity for our members, for them to have this information for their own professional development. Um, that is a, an, a tremendous value to everyone that takes part in the assessment. But from the strategic side of the nonprofit is we have a development committee and we're going to be able to take a look at this and really look at what are we hearing from our community, their needs are, compare it to the data that we receive from this type of assessment, see where those gaps are and really be intentional with our focus. So WESIS has done a really good job offering opportunities for many for early in their career, non-traditional career changers or, you know, executive cybersecurity leadership series and summits and offerings in that capacity. But right now we have to be laser sharp and very focused on what's the next growth strategy of the organization. And this assessment is going to help us put that programming in place. Simone, help me understand a few details about the assessment here. I mean, we you spoke about how it will help someone determine where they stand in terms of their own skills. Is there any opportunity for them to compare themselves against their peers? Is is that part of this, or is that perhaps something for the, the next round? Well, we can talk about it from a data privacy standpoint, but we mm. do have <laughs> the ability to show someone where they ranked among their peers who take it. So the the opportunity exists for us to explore it, but I think, you know, Lynn, we should probably kind of talk through whether that's information we want to share with, with folks to sort of see where they are from a benchmark perspective against the rest of the population that took it, or whether we want to maybe, you know, do that for the later date. Yeah, fair enough. So how do people get involved here? I mean, Lynn, obviously, uh, you've got your members there at WESIS. If folks want to take part of this, they should uh, find out how to join, Yes. Yes, yes, please. If you go to wesis.org under initiatives, the cyber talent study is the first drop down under initiatives there. And so they'll receive all the information about um, the assessment and how to sign up for that. And we'll take it from that point on. I think it's worth um, mentioning that we are smack in the middle of the sign up period for that assessment. So signups run through February 1st. And anyone who signs up will receive access to that assessment between February 5th and the 18th. And all the details are on the, the wesis.org website, um, but just so that everyone here has a sense of what they need to do from a time commitment. 
All right. Excellent. Well, Simone Petrella is N2K's president, and Lynn Dome is the executive director of WESIS. Thank you so much both for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, a story from 404 Media reminds us that in 1998 and 99, the NSA faced a peculiar situation involving Furbies little interactive robotic toys. Initially, the agency banned the Furby from its offices, fearing it could be a potential spy device due to its alleged ability to learn from surroundings using an artificial intelligent chip on board. This decision, however, led to unwanted media attention and internal debates among employees about the toy's actual capabilities. The situation came to light when an NSA employee leaked the ban to the Washington Post, sparking a discussion about the Furby's technological potential and security implications. The NSA's internal communication, revealed through a recent Freedom of Information Act request, shows employees questioning whether the Furby could record and store conversations. Despite some believing that Furby's capabilities were overestimated due to its nature as a simple toy, the discussions reflected genuine concern and confusion within the agency. The release documents, now available on the Internet Archive, include listserv threads, internal memos, and responses to media coverage, offering a glimpse into the NSA's handling of what was dubbed Furbygate. This episode not only highlighted the spy agency's cautious approach to potential security threats, but also revealed the internal dynamics and reactions to public scrutiny over their decisions. I remember the Furby fad, and I suppose one thing they shared with an actual leaker is that once you got them talking, it was nearly impossible to get them to shut up. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like the Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. 
and make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.